Job chapter 1, our lesson today will come from the first 12 verses of this passage. My typical preferred approach is always to begin with the scripture. I think that's I think that's a good practice. Today I, I want to share just a few thoughts with you before we do that. This book of Job, a well-known book, a well-known story. Even, even those who don't believe, those who aren't Christian, those who don't go to church, even many of them have heard about this man, Job. They've heard about his story. They've heard about the things that he went through. And I think that's because the experience of suffering is, is a human thing. It's universal. We've all suffered something, many, some more than others. If you're human, you have suffered. Thought about this, even we even come into the world crying. <laughs> to be human is to suffer in some ways. And, and that sounds pessimistic, and perhaps in some settings or to some it is. But it's also true. And Job is a book that so many identify with because it is a book, it is a story that deals with human suffering. There are many truths to be gained from this book of Job. If you've not read it in a while, I would encourage you to do so. I, I know, no doubt, hopefully you have some sort of reading plan uh, that keeps you disciplined in your Bible reading. Um, we don't want to overstep there, but this is a good book to continue to reacquaint yourself with if it's been a while. And and by the way, we're starting here in Job chapter 1. Don't think for a minute that we're going to begin a, a march through Job over the next two years. It's not happening as far as I know. The Lord changes that. But he does. He has helped and moved and, and given us a, a thought here. And in the book of Job, many useful and worthy truths to be uncovered. A lot of gems to be mined out of this book, individual things, specific things, things that maybe surprise you as you read it. There's clearly and, and obviously no way for anyone to give anything related to a full or complete presentation of the book of Job in a single sermon, so I don't have that intention today. And given that limitation, I, I want to narrow my focus to what um, might be called the big picture. It's, it's the forest and not the trees that I want to talk about today in Job. It's, it's the main plot line in a story, not the subplots. Not, not those things that contribute as subplots, but the main plot. The larger story that surrounds all of the smaller ones in this book. And to understand that big picture, the, the point of the book of Job and the story that it relates, to understand that, to see it, requires you, requires us to have the right perspective as we read the book. It's easy to get lost in the forest, for the trees, as they say. It's easy to miss the big picture when you're down in the midst of everyday life. 
it's easy to, to lose sight of the big picture. So to understand that big picture, we, we have to kind of remove ourselves from some of the detail, the, the, the individual things that, again, as wonderful as those details are and the truths that you can pull out, today I, I just want to present to you what I think God wants to present to you, the big picture here in the book of Job. And, and to do that again, as I said, that our perspective is going to have to be right. If our perspective, as we read the book of Job, is limited to what Job endured, if, if it's limited to the specifics of his trial, we'll not have a right focus on the big picture of what Job and his story is about. If we focus only on what Job lost and fail to understand why, he lost it. We, we might glean some good advice from this book. We might even take some encouragement in the fact that others have endured such difficulty as Job did. Might then take some courage in our own trials. And that would be good and that would be helpful and it, it would be something that the book of Job is good for. But again today, that's not where I, my thoughts are. If, if we just focus on what Job lost and not why he lost it, or what was going on underneath it all, we might gain an understanding, maybe perhaps, of Satan's power to afflict. And, and though we might see that and, and understand that those, Satan's power is great, God's is greater, and, and we would learn the theological truth that Satan is, is controlled or he is limited, I should say, by God. It, it, it we might learn that in the midst of trials, friends themselves can desert you, as Job's did. We might learn all kinds of good things, but that's not where my thought is today. I want to, sh- to speak to you today, if I can, and, and it, it borders on the very edge of what one would dare to do without the help of God. So I hope and I pray that God's help is with me today. I want to share with you the point of this story that can be easily missed if you go past these 14 verses and miss it. You'll see a lot of trees, but you'll not see the forest. You'll learn a lot of good things, but you won't see the thing that's going on, that's at play. The book will go into great detail, it does, about Job's trials. But all those trials, and I'll say this at the beginning, all those trials, they're subplots. They're not the main plot. They're not the main story. They're part of it. An important part, a real part, a difficult part, a dark part, but they're part of the larger story. Job's loss of his wealth, it's a subplot. It's not the main plot. Job's loss of his health, subplot. Job's rejection of, that he experienced by his friends, it's a subplot. His, the loss of his ten children, subplot. It's not the main plot. The rejection and judgment even of his wife when she says to him, after she had had all she could endure, and sometimes we lose the fact that she lost what he lost. She lost her children. She lost her wealth. Because his was her. They were one flesh. 
She lost his status and his position in the community. She lost her health in that he had lost his. And, and she had gotten to that point in that place where so many of us do and, and can identify with her. But on that day that Job experienced that from her when she said, just curse God and die. Subplot. It's not the main plot. It's not the main story. It's part of it. But it is, it is a part of the story that's woven into the bigger and the larger story. The patience that Job shows in the midst of this trial. Subplot. It's not the main story. Though it often is portrayed that way. Again, I don't want to take away from these subplots. They are each worthy of our time to consider. They're part of the larger story and so they contribute to it. But my thought for you and for us on this day is to see the larger story of Job. Because it is so easy for us to miss the main storyline, the main plot in Job. And, and we miss it easily because we identify with the losses that he suffered, don't we? It, maybe none of us will, and I pray this is true, but I've learned a little bit about the fact that loss is hard to measure. Loss is loss in some sense. And, and, and yet none of us have lost, that I know of, have lost ten children on, and on the same day all of our wealth, ultimately then our health and rejected by those that once respected and loved us and judged by them more than just rejected. His, his friends come around him and shake their finger at him. Job, what did you do? He experienced all that. Most of us can identify with a lot of these subplots. We identify closely with them. So we tend to make them the main plot of the story. But they're not. Most of us, because we can identify with the way that it feels to suffer the things, at least some of them that Job did, we identify with them. And we, and because of that, we read Job and our hearts gravitate toward our own losses and, and, and we see those losses as the point of the story and, and they're not. The losses that we experience in our lives, they, they have a gravitational force that pulls everything else in our lives into their sphere. They're like the black hole in space that sucks everything near it into its mysterious but ever real darkness. And, and it just pulls us. It's undeniable that, that, that we feel that. And so when we read Job, we identify with those losses. And, and I don't think it's wrong that we do. It's undeniable. And again, I don't believe it's wrong to identify with Job and his trials, but it's very important, I think, for us to keep our heads above the water enough at a high enough altitude enough to look down on this story and and see what is really happening here. And, and so I want to look at these first 12 verses. I won't take them one at a time. But but I want to look at them in a whole and, and see what we can learn about what's going on here in, in the book of Job. And, and in the hopes that it will help us to see perhaps what's going on in our lives, because I think that's what we're ultimately individually to, to gain from this book.
and all of Scripture. We read it. We understand what happened to the people that we read about. We, we understand who God is and what He's doing. We understand Satan and what His goals are. And we understand time and that we're here for just a little while. And then we take from this book and we, we are to then apply it to our hearts so that we might be wi- people of wisdom and, and knowledge and awareness. And so I want to speak to you today about the plot of Job. I struggle with the title, but it, perhaps if you want to write one down, it would be simply a man, a day, Satan, God, and a challenge. And that's a mouthful. A man, a day, Satan, God, and a challenge. And so let's read these first 12 verses of the opening chapter of the book of Job. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So there's the man. Now there was a day. When the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them, the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no, for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and all his house and all that he has? On every side, it appears that Satan had already been looking. Had no path in. He goes on, You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And there's the challenge, by the way, that all the rest of this book is about. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. A man, a day, Satan, God, and a challenge. This sets up these 12 verses, all that is to follow in the book of Job and must be kept in view as you go through those chapters and those days with Job as you read his story. Opens up just the book out of, out of nowhere begins and says there was a man. And he goes on, and it goes on to explain and describe and, and, and give an explanation of who this man was. And some attributes of him, some very positive ones that we see, said that he was blameless and upright. 
blameless man. And we, we see this word blameless in the Hebrew. It has in it the sense of completeness, wholeness, fullness. We think blameless and we sometimes think sinless, but we know Job was not sinless. He did not go through his life without sin. He was a man, a fallen man, inherited the sin of his father, and he was a sinner. And yet, we read about him, and all that he's going to suffer, we read that he's a blameless man as those challenges began. A man who is complete and full, and and a man who is reaching at least some measure of a standard of what God would call a blameless man. I think just as we take a quick aside here, I think that should be something of an encouragement to us to strive to be a blameless child of God and to discourage us from thinking that because we'll never be sinless, that we cannot be blameless. We can. Sometimes we'll say it though. Well, we're all sinners. And so we kind of throw up our hands and say, so what does it matter if we sin? We'll never be sinless. But apparently, there's at least this one man, and we're called in the New Testament to be such a one who's blameless. One who's complete. So he was a man of uprightness. People looked at him and they saw a man of uprightness and blamelessness. No one really, they might be able to lay some accusations and say, Job's not perfect. And yet, they would say as well, but he is a righteous man, a godly man, one who fears God. And that's what he says next about him, that he feared God. This man who was blameless also feared God. Nothing is going to send a person down the path of sin quicker than a lack of fear of God, by the way. And, and, and this word fear is important for us to understand what it is. In the Hebrew, it is really, it's two words that are brought together to make one. Yah. Ray. It sounds like Yahweh, the name of God, but it's not. It's Yah-Reh. Two words. It, in it really, the, the, the sense of that word is a reverence and an awe. That's the primary sense of that Hebrew word. When we talk about fearing God, yes, there is a, a what we would call afraid because we know who He is and we know His power. We know His wisdom. We know His will. We know He's righteous and we are not. So there should be something of a fear in us the way we think of the word fear. But in Job, I think the greater reality of this when it says that he feared God is that he reverenced Him. That second word in the Hebrew that comes together to make that single Hebrew word that was translated fear in our English English Bibles, it has the idea of falling down. His reverence for God caused him to fall down before Him. To reverence him. Job was a man that people respected. He was a wealthy man. The greatest man in all the East is what the Bible called him here. And yet he himself, as he looked at God, he reverenced him, fell down before him to honor him, God, as his God, his king, his Lord, his superior. So Job's fear of God was such that he reverenced him. Job had a right view of God. All that's going to transpire, all that he's going to endure, all the difficulties that he's going to have, it begins with the description of who he was. 
who he is in the story, a blameless, upright man who feared God, says he turned away from evil. We need to know who this man is that's going to endure these trials. And we then need to, I think, take a lesson as we face our own trials, because we will and we do, we content, we'll continue to, to see that we might be striving to be something of this type of person turned away from evil. It wasn't that evil wasn't present before him, that he didn't have opportunity, but he turned away from it. An upright man, a blameless man, one who feared God, turned away from evil. When he saw it, he turned away. Great advice again for all of us, but still not the point of the story. A man that desired his children to be close to God. I think every parent who knows the Lord, that's top on their list for their children. Is to know God and to fear Him and to walk in His ways all their life. That's our my prayer. I know that's the prayer of many. And it was in Job's heart. Concern for them in such a way that he would pray to God on their behalf. If they sinned against you, Lord. Of course, I'm making words up. But this was clearly in his heart. If they've sinned against you, Lord, please have mercy. Draw them to you. Draw them to a place of repentance. Don't allow them to overlook the sin that they need to repent of, but have mercy upon them and draw them to yourself that they might repent to you. This is the man that we're dealing with. This is the kind of man that is going to endure this terrible trial. So this is the man. And then, as we look at the main plot line, as, as, or as, as we will here shortly, we look at the components of the story. It's, it's a man, Job, and we know a little bit about him now. And then in verse 6, it says, now there was a day. Just, just another day. When he woke up, he had no idea what was heading his way. Unaware of the conversation between God and Satan. Didn't know about it. God didn't invite him into the room. As I've said before, he didn't, that we can tell, and certainly there's no evidence in Scripture for it. God did not come and give Job a heads up. This is coming. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let Satan loose in your life. Be ready, be prepared. It was just another day. There came a day. We've all had days like that. There came a day. There was a day here which means, by the way, that there was this trial, these things that he's going to endure, they're limited and they're limited because they happened on a day. They happened in time. It's going to be limited trials by the way, like our victories and our riches, we often talk about those things, the things that we gain in this world. We often say we're, we're going to let go of those things. And that's true. If you're seeking for the riches of the world and you're, you're, you're just aligning your life towards gaining as much of the world as you possibly can, it is good for you to hear you're going to walk away from all of that. Job's going to say that shortly. Naked came I into the world, and naked I will return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's given, he's taken away. 
You're going to walk away from all that. You need to hear that. But I, I want to tell you on the flip side of that coin, the trials and the suffering that we endure in this life, it too is limited. It's limited by the day. And when I say day, I mean time. There's going to come a day, according to Revelation, that God's going to wipe away every tear from our eye. There'll be no parting. There'll be no separation. There'll be no darkness. There'll be no sin. There'll be no trial. There'll be no burden. There'll be no fear. There'll be none of those things. So it's limited. But there was a day. This day that changed everything in Job's life from that day forward. Day that just came like so many other days before it. And in this story... There was Satan, a real being. He's not an idea. He's not a little imagined devil on your shoulder opposite the angel on your other. He's a created angel of God who in his pride and arrogance fell from heaven before God created man, but he is a real being with intentions, with goals. God said, what have you been doing? Not that God needed to be educated about it. He knew exactly, but Satan says, I've been walking up and down through the earth. And Peter describes it later and says, he walks up and down the earth seeking whom he may devour. A real being. People will look at you today like you're crazy when you say that. Oh, but he's real. One day, he's going to be eternally punished. I know there's all kinds of different opinions, and I don't want to get into that theological muddy water. I just want to point out today, Satan, this real being, this person in a sense, is called before God, came before him. This accuser of men, that's what he's often called. That's how he's often considered. And why do you think God, and, and now we're moving into the main plot line of the book of Job, and the main plot line for you and me too, by the way, in our own lives. I don't want you to lose, lose me here. I don't, I don't, I hope and pray that you don't disconnect thinking we're just giving you a dissertation about the book of Job. No, this is about you. This is about me. This book that God has written, this this book that he has authored, the Spirit of God, to tell us the story of Job. It's not just to give us a nice little bedtime story. Oh, he, he ends and he's blessed twice as much as he had at the beginning and everybody lived happily ever after. Job is not a fairy tale. Job lost ten children that never ever on this side of eternity he saw again. Never to hear their voice. He lost his wealth and his position. He lost friends. Yes, God restored so much to him, but this enemy was given right of way by God himself to take, and Job suffered loss. This accuser of men who comes to God and says, this creation you've made, these human beings, they're not going to serve you. They're going to serve me. Job, though, or, or excuse me, Satan, though, kicked out of heaven, 
lost the war there, yet he continues here in the plain among human, human beings on this, in this world, on this earth. He goes around trying to rob God of all the glory that he possibly can by, by presenting challenges and accusing men to God. And so God says, well, have you considered Job? But Satan now permitted, permitted by God to take from Job. He has power over earthly things that God allows him to have. He is subject to God. Clearly, we see that here. Satan says, well, the reason Job serves you is because you've, you've put a hedge around him. And Satan would have known. You can almost in my mind's eye imagine Satan walking all around Job's life. Where's the weak spot? Maybe it's in his free time. He allows his mind to wander places that it shouldn't go. Maybe maybe his weak spot is his wealth. Maybe there's something there that he's beginning to put his trust in other than God. Nope. No, it's not there. I can't get in that way. Maybe maybe he loves someone else more than he loves God. No. No, it doesn't doesn't seem that he does that. There's no there's no end there. God's hedged him about there too. And so he comes to God and says, "Well, of course Job serves you. You've done absolutely everything to protect him." And then and then by the way, you talk about argument for free agency of man. Here it is. God removes that, and there is, I think, the sovereignty of God. He controls this, but then He lets loose the enemy of man, Satan, upon His creation so that His human being, Job, can make up His own mind and His own heart. What is He going to do? What glory would this have been if Job had not been given the, the responsibility to respond in this trial to God, what glory would that have been? How would that have been any different than the hedge that was about him prior, according to Satan? I think that's something for us all to consider, but we don't want to go too deeply there. We have the man, Job, in this story. We have a day that this all begins to happen. We have Satan, and of course we have God the one who all are subject to here, the one in control, at least ultimately, of everything in the story. He's not the one who will decide for all the actors in this story, but he is the one who decides the main plot, the main point, what he's trying to share. And now... I just, with all of those things set up, want to take a few more moments of your time today and talk to you about the challenge. A man, a day, Satan, God, and a challenge. What is this book about? If it's not about the individual things he suffered, what is it about? If our lives are not about what we've individually suffered, then what are they about? Well, verse 8, I think we begin to see it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil, which is exactly how he was described in verse 1. Here's the main plot. A challenge from God to Satan about Job. 
this is what's going on in the book of Job. This is not merely a story of one man's ability to be patient in suffering, though that is part of the story. Here is the main plot. Job's trials all served this main plot. But again, they themselves were not that main plot. Some might think here, by the way, that God is harsh. He's thrown Job into the fire, hasn't he? Into the very crosshairs of the enemy. And it seems to me that Satan, again, as we said, knew all about Job. Seems that he'd already maybe looked for weaknesses in his life to infiltrate, but he found none. And he looks to God and says, the reason Job serves you is because of all the wonderful things that he has. And in that, we can't show God our love like we can in our losses. But some might think that God is harsh or that God is unconcerned, unfeeling. How could He do this to Job? And the reason I think that He does is to show you and me, to show Job, to show Satan what this is all about which is our standing before God, our knowledge of who He is. Remember, the main plot here is God's challenge to Satan. The main point is this, who will Job serve? Who will Job follow when the chips are down? What is he going to do? Job is put in the midst of this heavenly challenge between God and Satan. And we can then begin to read the rest of all of the details of this story and we begin to miss the very point of what it all said at the very beginning when God is looking at Satan saying, this human being that I have created, this creature that is different from you, and yet another creature created by me, I am placing him in the middle. I'm putting him there between you and me, between evil and good, and he has the choice to choose to follow me, to submit to me, or to reject me, to turn from me. Instead of turning from evil, turning from good. Instead of being blameless, living a life full of sin and and evil and wickedness. Instead of one who revered and feared God, one who disdained and rejected and dismissed Him. This is the challenge that God places in front of Satan. This man will serve me. He will not curse me. Yes, he's going to go through some very difficult days. He's going to question God. He's going to, he's going to be uh, uh, satirical and he's going to be cynical, maybe even to the point of sin, depending on your opinion. But he's not going to fall or fail the test of the challenge, which is this. Satan, he will not curse me. Because that's what Satan said. Take those things away from him. He'll curse you to your face. Boldly, he will. That's the challenge. That's the point of all of the rest of this book. What I want to say to you today as we bring our remarks to a close this morning 
is this application for us is is this is where we all are we're we're in the middle of a similar challenge maybe not exactly the same i wouldn't even begin to think for a moment that i would merit the attention of god and satan in this kind of conversation that they had yet i'm in the same kind of similar place am i going to choose am i going to follow god Am I going to serve Him and submit to Him? Am I going to be one who strives to be blameless and upright because who God is and who I am? Or am I going to turn from Him and turn to myself and this world? Am I going to reject Him and accept the world? This is the, this is the challenge and this is, this is the challenge we're all in. And, and after all of these things that I've said here today, that really is what I want to present to you today, that singular thought. Is to recognize what the, the point of the story, the plot line of his life and ours. To be the one who, on a particular day in our life, would be one who would serve God and follow Him when all of the other things seem to be falling apart around us. I pray that then God would help us to share that with others and to be a strength to them. Those are the thoughts that we want to present to you today. I pray that God would bless His Word.